following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. We'll look in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. We'll read verses 35 to 45 together, and then we will go to the Lord in prayer. Verse 30, I see I can't get anybody back together after that. That's all right, though. Verse 35 says this, Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And the leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Let's pray. Jesus, as we come back to your word today, it's our desire to see your heart. We've seen all these other things about you as Mark has been introducing you to us here in chapter 1. And while all of these things are helpful, all are important, all are critical to who you are and why you've come We definitely, definitely do not here at the end want to miss the heart that you brought in your ministry to us. And so God, help us today to see that, convict us, challenge us, reveal sinful thoughts, actions, and attitudes in our own hearts and lives today, we ask, so that as we go out and we we spend another time in your word looking at, at how you saw ministry that we will then go and do likewise because ultimately that's what we want we want to be like you in every way and so that's our desire this morning we ask your spirit to do it here in our midst in jesus name amen well last sunday we began a little mini series of sorts that i am calling the heart of jesus and i'm basing that off of this uh section that we're in here verses 35 to 45 here in mark chapter one it's the last of five different sections where Mark is introducing to us different aspects of who Jesus is. And so in verses 1 to 13, he introduced us to Jesus' true identity, that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. In verses 14 and 15, he introduced us to Jesus' message. What is it that he's going to be proclaiming while he's on earth? Well, he's going to be proclaiming that the time is fulfilled, that God's kingdom is at hand, and that the right response from us is that we repent and believe the gospel. In verses 16 through 20, he introduces us to Jesus' plan. How's he going to spread this message? Well, he's going to gather men to himself. He's going to train them, equip them, teach them, and then he's going to send them out to, to spread that same message as well. And in verses 21 to 34, Mark introduced us to Jesus' authority and power making sure we understand that nothing will stand in his way, right? That there's no situation that's going to come up along the way in his life and his ministry that's going to be able to defeat him, stop him in any way, shape, or form because he is authoritative over everything. And now finally here in verses 35 to 45, Mark is introducing us to Jesus's heart. You know, what drives him? 
What, what uh, is going to characterize his time here on earth? And last week we saw the first of four things that I am defining as the heart of Jesus in ministry, four things that drive him uh, while he's on earth here. And that first one was his love of the Father. If you look back in your text at verse 35, you see that Mark tells us that Jesus got up really, really early the next day after that Sabbath day that we read about in verses 21 to 34. And he went out to a desolate place and he did what? He prayed. And I asked the question, why? Why did Jesus pray? I mean, he's God. Is he praying to himself or is he praying because he doesn't know something or he needs God's help in doing something? And my answer to those questions was no. I don't think that's why he's praying at all. He's God. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. There's nothing he doesn't know. There's nothing he can't do. And so why does he pray? And what I argue last week that when when you see Jesus praying, I think it's not because he wants something from the Father. I think it's simply because he wants the Father. Nothing more. He, he, he loves the Father. He wants to spend time with his Father, his prayer life, if we can refer it to, to it in that way for a moment, is very different than ours in that respect because most of the time it seems to me that when I pray and when I listen to other people pray, not, not critiquing or judging, but our prayers are mainly us wanting something from God. So, dear God, please Help me know what to do in this situation. Dear God, please give me wisdom about what to, how to respond or, or what to say here. Dear God, please heal so-and-so. Dear God, please keep us safe as we travel. Dear God, please provide me with, you know, fill in the blank because I really need it. And I, and I hope, I hope, I hope you understood something last week that as I was talking about those things and as I'm clearly indicating them and kind of or referring to them in sort of a negative light in a way, those things aren't bad. I never intended to communicate that last week, and I hope you don't misunderstand me even now. God tells us to come to him and seek wisdom, does he not? He tells us to come and cast all our cares on him. Why? Why does he tell us to cast them on him? Because he cares for us. Our Heavenly Father knows what we need before we even ask, and as a father, he loves to give us those things. So it is certainly not wrong to come to him with those kinds of requests. However, the problem is, is that for many of us, that's all we ever come to him with. We want him to to do things for us, and we don't really want him. We love what he gives us and love what he provides for us and love how he helps us. But the question last week was, do we really love him? Not just what he can do. We're like the people here in in Mark's story. They loved what Jesus did. They wanted him to feed them and heal them and cast out their demons. They loved for him to be in their town and doing all this stuff. But in the end, they didn't love him. They didn't believe in him, and they were never changed by him. Or, or were like the adulteress that, that James talks about in James chapter 4. That passage probably came to some of your minds last week as I was preaching, and I didn't address it. I, I'll do it now. But I feel like I understand that passage better today than I ever have before. In James 4, he says that uh, uh, we ask and do not receive because we ask wrongly to spend it on our passions. You adulteresses, he calls us. It's an analogy. He's like, you're like, a, you're like a wife who loves everything that a husband provides for her. 
She loves the home he provides. She loves the food he provides. She loves the clothes he provides, the gifts, the opportunities. The only problem with this wife is that she doesn't love the husband. In fact, she loves others in place of the husband. She wants the gifts from him so that she can go and enjoy it with her lovers. You adulteresses, James calls us. That's exactly what we're like when we come to God simply because of what he can do for us, but we don't actually love him. It's a perfect, perfect analogy. This isn't Jesus' heart, obviously. He loved the Father. He wanted to be with his Father, to talk with him and know him and spend time with him and commune with him and have a relationship with him. And guess what then? Out of that, I said that that should be our heart as well. That like Jesus, we too should have a heart that truly, truly loves God and seeks him alone. I said it's time for us as individuals, as as families, as community groups, as a church, as as a whole, to begin spending time just simply seeking God. And I'll, I'll be honest, just off notes for a moment. I've been really encouraged this week by even some of the feedback I've heard since Sunday. And listening to some of you talk about how you tried to do that. This week, isn't it hard? It's because we've so programmed ourselves to always want what God can give and not just want him. And to fall on your knees and to spend time alone like, like God, I need you. I, I want you. Help me to want you more. I've run out of things to say. <laughs> That's how it feels almost. We got together as a community group this week, our community group over here in Ocean Lakes, and we did that. We just took the whole time and just prayed and sought God for for God's sake alone and not for the gifts he gives. And I'll be honest, it was, was weird, but at the same time, it was great. I, Damien and I both went home and we said to each other in the car, that was probably our, our favorite time together with our community group we've had in months, months, just spending that time in prayer seeking God's face. So don't give up, okay? I say that as an encouragement. Don't give up, okay? Keep pursuing God. And it's okay now. You can ask him for things too, all right? He loves you. He wants you to bring your cares to him. So feel free to do that. But we want to, we want to make sure that we are seeking God, knowing God. And so as we think about ministry together at Cornerstone, we can have all the other stuff right. We can have the right identity, the right message, the right plan, go in the right power. If we don't have the right heart in ministry, I'm afraid it's all going to be for nothing. And so that's why we're slowing down. That's why we're going to talk about each of these points together in detail, because I want us to have Jesus's heart as we serve together as a body. Today, we're going to look at the second component of Jesus's heart here in verses 35 and 45, and that is this, that like Jesus, we need to have a heart that never loses sight of what matters to God. Okay, Like Jesus, we need to have a heart that never loses sight of what matters to God. And Jesus, excuse me, after Jesus prays in verse 35, we read this, that Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And so what I want to do is I just want to walk us through these verses here. Make sure you understand what what Mark is doing here. And then we'll make some observations about Jesus's concern for what really matters to God and how that should impact us as well, our heart for ministry. Now, last week we saw the setup for this, and I'm just going to talk us back through it very quickly. What was the prior day here in the story? Do you remember? It was the Sabbath day. It was the prior day. So the prior day had been the Sabbath day. That was a, a, a Friday night to Saturday night. And, and Jesus had gone to the synagogue that morning. He had cast out a demon in the service. Later he had gone to Simon and Andrew's house where we guess he was staying for the night. 
And at sunset that prior evening, the whole town comes out, right? Everyone's out at the door. They want to be healed. They want the, the demons cast out of the people that, that they knew and loved, and, and both of which he did willingly. And, and they're amazed by what he does here. His fame spreads everywhere instantly throughout the region. And at some point, we know that night, the townspeople all go home. And Jesus and everyone in the house, they all go down for bed. And verse 35 picks up that next morning. As we saw last week, Jesus gets up really early while it's still dark, Mark says. And he, he walks out of town to some desolate place where he can be alone. And there he prays. And at some point, apparently that morning, Simon and the other people in the house wake up and they discover that Jesus isn't there. And Mark doesn't tell us how that happened, how they discovered this or why or any of the details around it. But I think if you look at the text, you can see pretty clearly that there's more than just uh, Simon and, and the, the others in the house that are interested in this. I think the townspeople have all come back early that morning hoping for more healing and miracles. And I think that because of what Peter says to Jesus here in verse 37. He says to him, everyone is looking for you. Everybody's looking. The idea being it's not just Simon and the group in the house. It's, it's a much larger group involved in this search. And so you can kind of begin to almost imagine the scene that has unfolded that morning. It's probably still early later than when Jesus got up, but probably still early. Simon and everyone in the house are still asleep, and all of a sudden there's a knock at the door. And so Simon, he hasn't had his coffee yet. He stumbles out of bed. He's got some bad bed head going on, and he, he walks to the door, and he opens it up, and he looks out in the street, and there's a crowd already gathered. And they're like, excuse me, is Jesus home? And Simon's like, I don't know, hold on. And so he goes and he checks and he discovers Jesus isn't there. And so he comes back to them and they're like, well, we really need him because we've got some more sick people here and some more people we think have demons and we would really like to, for, for him to heal them now. And, and so he's like, I'm sorry, he's gone. And, and what, do you think, what do you think you would do if you were in the townspeople's position at this moment? Wouldn't you just out of common courtesy, say, oh, oh, I'm sorry, you know what, it is really early. We'll come back later. We'll, he probably needs some alone time. We'll come back later, uh, and we'll see him, see him at some point later on this morning. No. Apparently, they organize a search. They're like, we need him now. Grandpa's wart has been on that foot for 43 years. It can't wait another hour. We need him now. And so everyone begins searching for him, looking for him, Mark says. And, and that includes Simon and those who are with him, verse 36. And they find him, verse 37, and they tell him what's going on. Look, everybody's looking for you, and now we've got to pause. Because Mark is doing something here in the text that doesn't jump out to us in English, but, but to his readers who are reading this in the original language, they would have gone, oh, 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 wait a minute. What's he doing here? I want you to notice this word, looking in verse 37 it, it doesn't look like a very special word to us but in fact in mark's gospel it's a very very special word it's not that the the word i should say is so special it's how mark uses it that's special this word for looking here is only used 10 times in mark's gospel and every time he uses it it's always referring to something negative about jesus every time I'll show you 
uh, a couple of examples so that you can see what I'm referring to here. I'll pick familiar ones so that uh, you can use the familiar to help you understand the unfamiliar. But in Mark chapter 11, verses 15 to 18, we read this. And they came to Jerusalem, Jesus and the disciples, that is. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were, here's our word, seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. This is the same word that he's using in verse 37. They're looking for a way to destroy him. They begin to search out a way that they can kill this guy and get rid of him forever because they don't like him. They're afraid of him, Mark tells us. In Mark 14, another example, again, very familiar passage, verses 10 and 11, we read this. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought He began looking for, he began searching for an opportunity to betray him. So this is what I mean when I say that when Mark uses this particular Greek word for looking, it's always something negative to Jesus. Every single time you see it, it's always going to be against him, against his message, his person, his plan, his life, against something. There's always something negative here, and so my question What's negative here in verse 37? Well, I think the answer to that question can be seen when you take into account both Jesus' response to Peter after he says this, as well as the situation that Mark has presented to us in the verses leading up to this point. First, consider his response to Simon here in verse 38. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, okay, well, if they're looking for me, I should probably go back. We should probably at least take care of this today and like finish out all the stuff that didn't get done last night and we'll, then we're good to go, we'll be, we'll be done. No, he doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, let's go, now. Let's get out of Capernaum. Let's go on to the next towns. And here's the question, why? Why does he say he wants to go on to the next towns? It's so that he can preach, If you like to underline in your Bible because that helps you remember what's important, that is the key word here. Underline the word preach because this is why he wants to leave Capernaum so that he can go preach in other towns. And again, we stop and ask the question, why? Why does he want to go preach in these other towns? Because this is why he's come. I need to go. I need to get out of Capernaum. I need to go preach in these other towns. That is why I've come. I didn't come to heal the sick and to cast out demons. I came to preach, to proclaim a message we need to get out of Dodge. That's the the response. Second, now think about the situation. What did he just do yesterday, yesterday in Capernaum? Well, he started by teaching in their synagogue, right? They're all amazed at his authority. And then he he cast out a demon. And then at sunset, the whole town gathers around the door of Simon's house because they want to hear another sermon. Right? (laughs) 
Mark tells us in verse 32 why they gathered around the door. They came bringing to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. They didn't come to hear another sermon. They came to get some miracles. They wanted them some miracles that day, not not to to hear more teaching or more sermons. They wanted their sick people healed and everyone who was oppressed by demons to be delivered. And while Mark doesn't say this here in the text, I'm pretty sure that the next morning they weren't showing up early hoping for a Sunday school lesson from Jesus. I'm pretty sure they're showing up because they want more of what it is that Jesus is offering to them by way of miracles. Now, when you consider the situation at hand, and you listen to Jesus' response to Simon, I think it becomes clear as to why they're looking for him is not, it's not a good thing. See, the people at Capernaum apparently saw Jesus as nothing more than a walking miracle factory. That's it. Not as the Messiah, not as the Son of God bringing God's kingdom and calling them to, to faith and repentance. No, they think he has some pretty nice tricks, and, and, and they want him to keep performing like a little monkey who's been trained to do something and everybody likes it. And so they're like, oh, Jesus, come back. We need you. We got to find you. You can't can't get away. We're still sick people left. Don't you know not everyone was healed? Don't you know that not everybody has has had their demons cast out? They're, They're not interested in what he has to say nor in who he is. And so they're not looking for him. What are they looking for? What he can do for them. That's really what's going on. And so Jesus rejects their looking He's not going to be the one-trick pony of Capernaum. That's not his, his mission. That's not why he's come. He has come to proclaim a message because that, folks, is what matters to God. That's why God has sent him, to proclaim this message of repentance and, and faith and belief in the gospel far and wide. And, of course, that's what he does. If you look here at verse 39, we see that he's like, all right, we're gone. And he begins to go throughout all Galilee, preaching preaching in their synagogues, and he still cast out demons. He's still doing that. You see here, he doesn't stop performing miracles. Just that's not the focus. The miracles are there to, to commend the message, not to replace the message. That's a very, very important thing. He's here to do what the Father has sent him to do because that's what matters to God. And therefore, I say to you, Like Jesus, then, we too should have a heart that never, ever loses sight of what matters most to God. And so how do you see that heart here in Jesus in this story? How is he he exemplifying this heart of never losing that single-minded focus on what matters to God? Well, I would say it's in four different ways here. Number one, you see it in the fact that he isn't content simply to rest on his accomplishments. He's not content to simply rest on his accomplishments here in this scene. Do you know how easy it would have been for him to have gone back to Capernaum and be like, well, this, I've done a lot of good here. I mean, I've done a lot of good here. The people love me. They can't get enough of me. They want more. I've done so much good here. I should just stay. It would have been so easy for him to have stayed there in Capernaum and simply rested on what he had already done, but he doesn't do that. He sees that there's more to do, and he wants to go do it. He wants to go on to the next town, and then the next town, and then the next town after that. He wants to proclaim his message to more and more people. And I'm sure he also wanted to heal more and cast out more demons as well, but 
There's just more to do, and he wants to get it done. He's not content to rest on his ministry accomplishments, and we shouldn't be either. You and I will never serve Jesus enough, ever. There will never come a point where we're going to be able to sit back and say, well, we've done a pretty good job here. I mean, people love us, right? They love what I do. That's good enough. I don't need to to focus on anything else. That day will never come, folks. It never will come. It might come in our minds. And I think for some of us, it has already come in our minds. But it, it never comes in reality. And I fear there are too many people who are unlike Jesus in this respect. They, they serve in the nursery for one hour a month, and they're like, well, I've clearly served God all I need to serve. That's sufficient. Or, or they show up at their community group each week, and they're like, I've given plenty of time. Don't you know how valuable my time is? I barely have enough to, to make it through my DVR backlog. And you want me to give up more time? And, and if I can make a little broader remark to us as a church body corporately, it's tempting for us, I think for some of us, to, to simply look at this place we're in. We're coming up on the one-year anniversary of being in our own building and go, well, we're, we've got a building now. We're legit. We're, we're, we've arrived. We can, we can sit back and enjoy it now. No. Like Jesus, we cannot rest on our past accomplishments in ministry. There is more to do. We have to reach all of Hampton Roads with the gospel. That's our purpose. Remember, we talked about it a few months ago? That we want to proclaim Christ to everyone so that we can present everyone to God perfect in Jesus Christ. we got a lot to do. This is what matters to God, and we can't lose sight of that. Number two, I see it in Jesus because he wasn't trying to build his own personal kingdom. Again, think about the situation. It would have been so easy to have simply stayed in Capernaum and bask in the adoration of the crowds. They loved him. They're clamoring for him. They're, the crowds are growing. The, the, the attendance is growing. If you put most preachers today in that same situation, they'd never leave. Never. Stay there forever. Why go anywhere? I've got an adoring fan base, people clamoring to hear me. I'd stay forever if I had that. Not Jesus. As I pointed out before, Jesus doesn't interact with crowds like anybody else. When, when he begins to draw a big crowd, he does one of two things. He either A, leaves, or B, he says or does something to drive the crowds away purposefully. And so I say to you, based on that, be wary of men who try to build their own personal kingdoms in ministry. Be very wary of them. I'm referring to pastors who seek the spotlight and try to build massive ministries around themselves and their own personalities. And note, note please, that I said try to build. Some are successful at their efforts and some are not. They're no different. Whether they're massive church and everybody knows their name because they're on the cover of every book in the store or nobody's ever heard of them and in their heart, though, that's all they want. Be wary about people whose desire is to build their own personal kingdom, not not the kingdom God has called them to proclaim. And I'm also referring to people within the church who, who are trying to build their own personal kingdoms in perhaps a little smaller ways. The, the guy or girl who wants everyone to hear them sing or play an instrument because they're God's gift to music. The, the, the person who wants everyone to know how great they are at leading some ministry area. That's their little fiefdom there, and you stay away from it. It's, it's true of every one of us at any time. In God's eyes, though, there's only one kingdom that matters, and it's his, not, not ours. And Jesus came bringing that kingdom, not his own, and we should be like him in this. Number three, 
We see Jesus' heart in the fact that he never lost sight of the fact that proclaiming the message of the gospel was why he had come. Again, it would have been so easy for him to have focused on just working miracles. You think about that. Who doesn't love someone who can heal the sick? Who doesn't love someone who can cast out demons? That's awesome. I mean, if you start talking about sin and God being angry at you because of your sin and he's going to send you to hell, that's not nearly as great. (laughs) I I like it when you're doing good stuff for me, but when you start saying that God's angry at me and he's not going to accept me simply because I'm a nice person, that might cause a problem. Maybe the crowds are are going to go away. That's not what Jesus does. When the people at Capernaum wanted more miracles, he left so that he could preach, because preaching was why he had come. The message was what mattered to God, not the miracles. As I said earlier, the miracles are there to confirm the message, not to replace it. And we all need to have that same heart in this matter. And I'll stop here and I'll just note that when you start talking about this kind of point, I feel like you've got people on all ends of the spectrum. Over here you've got this group that they think all they have to do is simply proclaim the message, right? They're the, they're the ones that want to run up to the guy like, here's a track, ah! <laughs> and get away as quick as they can. Just, just throw it at them. Just give them the gospel and run away. On the other end of the spectrum, you have these people over here. They're like, we just need to love everyone in the neighborhood. And maybe eventually, someday, hopefully, possibly, they'll ask why. And maybe possibly I'll tell them. There's a balance here. I hope you're seeing this. There's danger on either end. There's a danger for the people on this side that all they want to do is just focus on the good and the miracles kind of and, and, and not proclaim the message and lose the fact that ultimately our kindness to people doesn't get them into heaven. Our kindness and our love for people and our love of community and all these, these values that we talk about on a regular basis and genuinely value are not sufficient to make the gospel clear. If you aren't proclaiming the message of the gospel, the people that you love so much will die and go to hell. And you never heard. And for those of you on this side who you don't want to like get in anybody's life and you're like, well, keep it all away. We don't want to love anyone. We'll just, we'll just go on a street corner and just yell out the gospel to whoever we run into. Don't you understand that when Jesus came proclaiming he came showing love at the same time. He's in verse 39. I love that what uh, Mark says here, that he went out preaching and casting out demons. He, he keeps up the, the latter, but the focus is on the former. It's not just one or the other, it's both. But the emphasis ultimately is on proclaiming the gospel because that's why we're here. That's what, that's what matters to God. Number four Fourth way you see that Jesus never lost sight of what mattered to God is he never forgot the many that hadn't heard. Again, it would have been so easy to simply stay in Capernaum, living life with, we use that terminology, so I'm using it here purposefully, living life with and teaching and interacting with the same people for the rest of his life. He wanted to go on to the next town and to the next town and to those who haven't heard so that he could proclaim this message to them only. Also, excuse me. And not only did he want to, to do it himself, he brings others alongside of him and he trains them so that they can go out and do it as well. So that the message spreads even farther and faster than he could do it on his own. The lost mattered to the Father. 
And because the lost matter to the Father, they matter to the Son. Well, guess what then? By extension, if the lost matter to the Father and they matter to the Son, then they better matter to us as well. This is why we can't rest on our accomplishments. It's because our ministry here will never be complete until every single person in Hampton Roads, every single person in America, every single person in the world, and every generation that we interact with believes the gospel. If you can get that done, then you can stop, okay? Until then, we're not quite finished. And so in these verses, we get a glimpse of another component of Jesus' heart during his earthly ministry. And in that, we see a quality, a heart attitude that should be true of us as well, both as individuals and, individuals and families and, and as a church. And, and so I'd give you some questions just to think about, to take home with you today. Have you become content in your ministry? I should probably ask you, how, how would you define your ministry? If I had to even ask you to stand up and explain that to us, what would you say? Is your ministry relegated to one time here on a Sunday you ushered and now that's how you serve Jesus? I mean, you can do it that way. Is that it? Is there any more? Are you simply content in what you've done because you're really resting on your accomplishments and wanting just to simply live your own life free from the obligations that the gospel places on us? Do you have your own kingdom built in your mind or in reality? Some area of life that you have established as your own and it's yours and you, it's all about you. You hear the selfishness in that? Have you forgotten that proclamation is why we are here? Have you forgotten that? And it's not about the, the programs and the stuff and the, the love and the kindness. All those things, again, are good and right. I feel like I'm, I'm almost proclaiming something or emphasizing things that I don't quite mean to, but I hope you know my heart in this. It's like last week when I was saying, don't ask God for anything, just ask for him, you know not bad to ask for things. But in here, it's certainly right to love and, and to serve and to be with people, but if that's all we're doing, we're, we're failing. Proclamation is what matters to God. And number four, have you forgotten those who haven't heard? Is all of our life spent with believers? Do we ever spend any time with unbelievers, or even try? Just try to spend with unbelievers? Remember what matters to God. That's my challenge to you. Remember this. Repent in the areas where you fail, where you've fallen, and then commit yourself to live in the Spirit's power with a heart that never, ever loses sight of what matters to God. You bow your heads. Jesus, it is so easy for us to redefine ministry in our own minds to be opposite of everything that you exemplified for us. It's easy for us to rest in our accomplishments and to to build our own kingdom and to not focus on proclamation, to not worry about the lost. And yet we see here that you worried about those things. You were, you were interested in those things, not simply because they were yours, but because those mattered to the Father. It's why he sent you. And so if they matter to him and they matter to you, then certainly they should matter to us. And so, Father, forgive us for where we fail in each of these points. Show us where we fail. Bring it to our attention this week, we ask. Help us to seek your face in these things, to, to examine each point and look for where we need to change, we need to grow. And then God, help us, please, by your spirit to pursue change and growth in these areas. To Ask for others to come around us and help us and speak into our lives on these things so that together as, as families and as, as a church body, as community groups, 
we will have a heart that is clearly, clearly like yours. So Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for not staying in Capernaum. Thank you for sending out the disciples to the ends of the earth. We are here today because of your heart. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.